0: Welcome back to the Bad Signal Podcast. I am your host, Courtney Fallon, as always. Yes, John from Scranton is producing behind the scenes all the way in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Is it, I think he's ripping a butt right now. John, you ripping a butt? I am.
1: I am. I am. I'm trying to keep at least that about the producer this time. <laughs> I'm trying to do something similar, you know?
0: Okay, yeah. All right, this show is a little special. We're going to call it like Towny Tuesdays. Towny Tuesdays. Because in the city of Boston, there is nothing we can't complain about. And we can complain about them shutting down the restaurants once again, which is, seems like they're going to be headed towards that. With COVID restrictions, we can complain about Danny Ainge not getting enough out of the NBA draft, not getting enough out of Gordon Hayward. And what the hell was that from Cam Newton on Sunday? And on that note, I just want to bring in a new friend. Can we call you Rob from Woburn? Is that All right.
2: Yes, you can call me Rob from Woburn. That is perfect. I love you. Rob from
0: Woburn, we're just going to get, you know, listen. He hit me up and he's like, yo, I just talk to my friends all day because I'm sick of listening to EEI. I can't, and I'm like, yo, join the club. You want to go shoot some shit about sports? This is perfect. It's a classic Winchester versus Woburn conversation. Let's move on a little bit to to some Patriots stuff. My God, I am so fucking done with Cam Newton. how much more can we take of this? How much? I have to ask you. That was a game against the Cardinals that the Patriots just had no business winning. And as much as you want to try to tank in the NFL, I mean, it's not possible. The parity of the league, um, you're going to have teams that are so much enormously more talented than yourself, but Because of poor coaching and because of situational play and, you know, these idiotic calls from the refs, like that blindside hit on Gunnar Olszewski that called them back. I mean, like I literally was watching a play from, it was the same exact hit on a Wes Welker touchdown run back, I think in what, 2007, 2008. That was the same, literally the same hit that continued on. I mean, the league has gone soft. For someone to complete nine passes for under 100 yards, he had the lowest quarterback rating to win a game at 23.6 since Mark Sanchez in 2012. I mean, we're talking about- That's disgusting.
2: That's gross. No, literally.
0: Yeah. um, I I just- Jared Stidham must really suck. Jared Stidham must really suck. Here, I mean, let me just ask you this. What do you think it is? Is it that Jared Stidham really fucking sucks or is it the fact that Bill Belichick is rolling with this season? And I, I know people will say, oh, you know, he's not different than any other year. Yo, he's cakewalking through this year. Cakewalking. Like, why the hell would he challenge a call on DeAndre Hopkins on that catch, uh, you know, when it blatantly was a catch? Like, there's questionable coaching decisions, timeouts, clock management. Um, I, I just, it makes you wonder. And he's defending this guy to the death. He literally is getting up there and saying, Cam is our quarterback until the end. It's it's either he doesn't want to lose the locker room or Jared of really sucks. And both of them, both of them are big, big problems.
2: I mean, honestly, Courtney, you look around the league. Is there a less talented offensive team than the Patriots? Is there? I don't uh, think there
0: is. They targeted. They targeted four guys on offense on that game on Sunday.
2: They have the worst skill position players in the NFL. They have, yeah. they have, they have no tight end. Yeah. They have no receivers and they have a, a a running back that we think is good. Damian Harris, I guess. I mean, he's yeah. played, what, four games, five games. I don't, it's, it's, I've never seen a, not, not just a Patriots team. I have never seen a team in the NFL with, with less skill on the offensive side of the ball. I don't, yeah. and and like you said, it, it could be. That's why I don't. I don't know if I completely fault Cam Newton because the guys that he's throwing to. I mean, Bird and and Jacoby Myers, and it's
0: just. I mean, I, they're decent. They. They. I mean, they're moving it, the chains, man. Because someone, the because
2: someone has to. That's why if someone you got someone's gonna catch it. Someone has to throw it. That's the thing. It's football, so I mean, it's gonna happen. It's just they're terrible. They are a terrible wow. offensive team.
0: Yeah, they are a terrible offensive team. Um, the prognostications of doom on Nikhil Harry's career just continue to get worse and worse and worse every week. I mean, this guy, uh, he, they should, they should just release him at the end of the year with the historical numbers that he's putting up of how bad, how bad he is over this last two years. I mean, I'm not even, I think everyone that's understated, I legitimately had my brother turn to me and say, I like Nikhil Harry. I think he does well. And I'm like, "Uh, you know what? I'm just going to let that go in one ear out the other. Horrendous, and you think, and, think Tom, that, and then
2: you I, also think it's Tom Brady's fault because he all never. The big thing with Brady was, you he know, never he, developed young players. He, need, so. yeah, he needs to have the guy know where he's going to be, and he's not going to throw to these younger receivers. And you know that's why you know he doesn't want any rookie receivers in there and stuff. But I mean, at some point, talent has to take over, and yeah. if you have the talent, you're going to get the ball thrown to you. You're going to catch the ball, and yeah. we haven't seen that talent from Nikhil Harry. We haven't. Yeah, seen
0: that. no, we haven't seen that, and I think. Cam Newton's kind of given up on him. I know that he was really, real. I was hot on on Cam, really developing Nikhil because he openly defended him on the radio and kept trying to throw him the ball, force him the ball. But here's the problem: um, Cam Newton has become a complete non-factor in his own because he's not accurate throwing the ball. He can't run the ball properly, and I mean, uh, he's uh, when when he comes up to the to the line of scrimmage. I, is he a factor if he's if he's calling audibles and changing place? Like, I don't think that he intimidates another team in any sense of the word. Yeah. So what is it? What is it? Um, the Patriots trying to tank. I mean, I won't even want to use that word.
2: You can't okay. use it with Belichick. You can't because he just it, he, he doesn't allow it to tank because he's just yeah. so he's just so good. I mean, look at their defense, their defense with all the players that opted out. I mean, Chung and Hightower are two huge players that opted out. So missing
0: Hightower is the, it's the worst oh, thing that's happen. It's the
2: worst. I mean, they're playing a lot of rookies. They're playing a lot of un, uh, inexperienced players on defense. And he is just such a good coach that they're still winning. I mean, Arizona is a good team. Arizona is a good offensive team. They have a really good quarterback. They obviously have a good, a uh, couple of good receivers and they, sh- they shut them. They had the lowest points this season during the Patriots game with yeah. a pretty much no name defense. I mean, and yeah. that's, and that's all Belichick. That's all Belichick.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, I would even surmise to say that I was going through this list and um, you know, I'm just kind of trying to scour the internet to see, uh, what's good and what's not. This was great that LeGarrette Blunt said that the Patriots, uh, the Patriots and the Eagles haven't, haven't filled their role at running back since he left in 2016. <laughs> Dude, that guy has such an ego that, I mean, what the fuck are you doing down in, in Tampa? Like that's the biggest question. Yeah, sure. You ran for over a thousand yards. Congrats. But yeah, Sonny Michelle was just under that thousand yard marker and they won a Super Bowl. So sit down homie. Okay. Yeah. But I'm even. I'm looking at this team for next year. Joe Tooney's gone. David Andrews is going to be gone. He has the most votes of any offensive lineman center in the league right now. Um, uh, they're going to get rid of every single one of their wide receivers. Um, clearly, they're going to get. They're going to be gutted by the end of this free agency period. And I just don't know if sixty million dollars in cap space is going to be enough.
2: I mean, you just don't know how he's going to use it either. He's just uh, sometimes, like I said, he's the best coach of all time. I don't think there's any question, and he's yeah. a genius. I, I think he's He's a genius, but sometimes yeah. he thinks like sometimes he tries to outsmart himself with some mm-hmm. of the players that he signs, and he'll sign you know all these undrafted free agents that he tries to play, and it's just it is you know it it's it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very 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 interesting what they do. What do your,
0: your daughters think? I hear some little voices.
2: Yeah
1: they need to go upstairs. <laughs> <said>. <laughs> Listen, um, yeah. can I
0: If you
2: put if you put her on receiver for the Patriots, she's probably the most skilled person on the damn field right now. Right. So that's I mean that's what we're
1: looking at. <laughs> <laughs> um, can I ask an uneducated sports yes, question? John, John you from you
0: John doesn't know um, football. So do <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, I know football. I know things. Uh, I said Patrick Mahomes is good a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Let's not take that for granted. Um, he is still proving it day mean. by day, Courtney. Yeah, that's <laughs> I got my facts right. <laughs> um, so did do you guys or did you guys lose faith in Belichick this off and no, and season I, or um, is it still where it was?
0: I haven't. I didn't lose faith in him in the off season. I think everyone and their mother lost faith in Jared Stidham to even become effective in the stories that were coming out about this kid. Uh that he basically gave up. They weren't didn't like his compete level. He wasn't showing up emotionally, mentally, in the quarterback room. I mean, so what the hell is this guy gonna do? Um, I, I think more so that Belichick it, once again goes back to the draft. Can't can't develop players, can't pick players. He needs to step down as general manager of the Patriots and let another person take the reins. I don't care who it is. Uh, they need to bring in someone with a legitimate eye for talent because as you watch DK Metcalf last night on Monday Night Football put up 177 yards or whatever he did because he was motivated by Jim Schwartz, by the way, all-time asshole. Jim Schwartz, (laughs) all-time asshole used to coach for the, used to coach for the lions. There's a reason bro, that you've been the defensive coordinator for a shitty Eagles team for the last five years. You can stay there. You haven't been, even been noted to be promoted. He came over to DK Metcalf and he was like, "Hey man, I, I was with Megatron in uh, in Detroit. You're not even close." So it pissed off DK Metcalf. Ran for you know uh, almost 200 receiving yards, and this is a guy that Bill Belichick passed on, you know, because he had a poor three cone drill at the combine. I mean, you okay? so you took Nikhil Harry just, he wasn't a burner. It was his hands. You know, I, I don't, I just don't understand what the the obvious duck in the room is that that bill needs to change. And maybe someone else has got to tap him on the shoulder and and, and make him more aware of what the good, what the talent is in the NFL. And um, yeah. if that means handing over the reins of, you know, Nick Casario, who's been the player head of player personnel, like, He's got to do that. Like, I, I don't think, I don't think that the Patriots really. I've, I think that they're set up to be worse than they next year than they are this year. He has time to fix that, and he better.
2: Yeah, I mean, like, I think that he used to surround himself with people he considered peers. So, like, you know, Scott Pioli is a perfect example. Yeah. He would he would take Scott Pioli's advice. He would listen to what he had to say about people, and then they would they would draft together. You know what I mean? <laughs> And now I just, and even like with the, even with the coaches, with, uh, you know, with Romeo and with uh, Charlie Weiss and all those guys, they were, he, he considered them peers, the equals. I just think that he thinks of himself so above everybody that he doesn't give a shit what your opinion is. And if that's the case, then why does he even have Nick Casario there? I don't understand why, like, what was the big stink about him going to Houston? Why wouldn't he let him walk out the door if he's not going to actually let him discuss player and make player personnel? decisions i don't understand it i I, I mean
0: well i mean at this point i feel like he should just let everyone leave and you know and go off on their own so that they can fail and i was i was bringing this point up i think it was on my instagram live that i was saying yeah uh, basically the reason three out of the uh, all the gms that got let go outside of jim caldwell who's the latest gm to be fired from the jaguars what it's it's thomas Dimitrov in atlanta bill o'brien coach and gm in houston Matt Patricia, and Bob Quinn, these are all Belichick guys. Mm -hmm. Why are these guys failing? Outside of Mike Vrabel and John Robinson. It's because he's not a mentor. He doesn't give a shit about telling you how to evaluate talent or how to do things his way. He just gives orders. And that's why the Andy Reid coaching tree is so much more successful. So put that in the situation of where Bill Belichick is now. This guy is not going to help anyone he's not going to ask for help he's not going to reach out to say i need help he's going to be doing this on his own because that has his legacy stamped all over it they're going to call me a coward if i reach out for help i i I mean that's that's just the bottom line about how bill does business and you know my all feelings no facts of the week here is bill belichick is absolutely fucking taking the year off with this team The fact that he is vehemently defending Cam Newton, a quarterback who can't fucking complete 10 passes in a a football game that they were supposed to lose, uh, clearly stating, oh, Cam's our quarterback from here on out. He's got other objectives here. It's like Cam's camp is whispering in his ear, don't let him down. Don't bench him. Because if you do, then it's going to ruin his image. It's going to ruin your image. We'll make sure that it ruins your image. He's playing some other fucking game underneath what he's doing and supposed to be doing as a coach. So praising his son, Steve Belichick, who supposedly, we still don't know who the defensive coordinator is, praising his son, Steve, after Sunday's win, when uh, it really was special teams that won you that fucking game. Okay. What are you doing here? Like, are you just taking the time to fill up headlines while everyone just shits all over your team? I, I I don't, I just, I don't get it. I don't get it.
2: I mean, I, it's, it's, I always thought that it's the great debate. It's going to be the greatest debate in football history is Belichick Brady? which one was more responsible for the championships. And yeah. it, it's honestly, at this point, it looks, it looks a lot like Tom because I mean, he goes somewhere else and he, and he still plays. Yeah. I am still so supremely confident in his defensive ability, in his defensive play calling, and his defensive mind that mm-hmm. he is going to his the problem with Belichick. They could go they could have one season where they go 14 and 2 and they win the AFC and they go to the Super Bowl and they they lose in the Super Bowl, whatever. Or they could have this season when they go ten and six and they don't make the playoffs or nine and seven and they don't make the playoffs. <sighs> Belichick has a better time and thinks of himself as a better coaching, thinks of it as a better coaching season. This season that he would go nine and seven than he did when he was fourteen and two.
1: Like he looks at it more fondly, and he's prouder of doing it with nobody than he is See, doing that. I think, right, like I'm look, I look at the whole. I like I'm. I love the Patriots. Like I was a Steelers fan growing up, but I've always loved Tom Brady, and I love Bill Belichick. I look at it like there is just a desync up in New England right now where. They have a quarterback coming in who is flashy. He's showy. He is not what Tom Brady used to be. And he's kind of throwing the vibe of the whole, I think the whole oiled machine that they have up there is really Mm -hmm. thrown off. And it's something that can't be fixed for reasons that Courtney said, because Cam's got probably about 15 people who work for him that make sure he starts every week. His yeah. agents, his lawyers, the his people father. standing on the sidelines at practice, which Belichick usually wouldn't give a shit about. I mean, he's there, yeah. he's there telling Guerrero to get the hell off the field. You know what I mean? So like, um, I just think there's a desync up in New England right now because of the loss of Tom Brady that I don't know what Bill Belichick is. But Like he's a chess player, not a checkers player. So like he may be moving his queen. He, you know what I mean. So like we don't know what Bill Belichick is Is doing. Is he waiting for
2: Jimmy G next year? Like that's that's what I mean. And like he's the type of
1: coach. He's the type of coach that will have a season like this year and consider it a good season because he did his best with the players he had, no matter what. And I think that's really what it came down to this year. He's not a tank guy.
0: No, I, I mean, I, I agree. He's not a tank guy, but what the hell are people going to say when they look back on the season and they go nine and seven?
1: I don't know. Look I, back I mean, four it years, it just, 10 years, and look at all really, your damn Super Bowls. No, <laughs> like, you selfish just, assholes it's not, it's, up there. I'm
0: almost worried about that because it's not going to tell the proper story. And people nationally will sit back and say, oh, well, they finished nine and seven. Oh, well, it's not that bad. I, like, I, I don't want to take away the weight that is placed on... The front office of you know the New England Patriots to uh, to fix this fucking team, man. And to be honest, you're looking right now at losing Josh McDaniels potentially next year. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to stay around Bill if he's having a, if he's being a control freak. And and what about what about Julian Edelman? And this is the, what I want to ask you, Rob. If the Patriots keep winning, it's going to give more pressure to Julian Edelman to return. There is no need. For Jules to come back, I mean, the guy had fucking meniscus surgery. I mean, they had literally jelly injected into his knees to make sure that he's he's he can run again and cut. This guy is turning 35 in May of next year. He's I, I just he has no football left, and he is a product of the Patriots running ride receivers, slot receivers. They did the same thing with Wes. Wes retired. I think it was I, he left the Patriots. When he was 31, 32. There should be no reason for Julian to come back this year and I mean, they're gonna lose him and they're gonna lose Josh McDaniels because-
2: but he will he'll be back he's a football yeah. player I mean, that's what he does it's, it's he's literally a machine I mean
1: that's what he's a that's machine what I was gonna say like I think like he's an example and Wes Welker's the same example where when you had Tom Brady in there it's real easy for Bill Belichick to build his system around that because you could literally take a player and just replace them look at that example right yeah. there where now he has a whole different system and he has somebody like Jules who stayed with him because he's a plug player and he knows his job, but now that job really isn't there. You know? Yeah. Like the toothpaste cap guys aren't there because, you know, the the workflow is different. So it's kind of like I think that's my I'm that's my main point about the Patriots right now. It's just desynced up there. And it happens to the Steelers sometimes when you get a bad locker room. It's just it's a bad chemistry. Every anyone who has played team sports knows when the juice isn't there. And how a team handles it, and the juice just isn't there right now up there.
2: Yeah, you know, and I think I think you were right at the beginning, Courtney. I feel like that this whole season, because of Corona, I mean, this whole year, obviously with everything, is
1: just fucked. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just think there's there's so many players opted out. Yeah, I mean, realize like,
2: and then they played that game in Kansas City that was all fucked up. I mean, like it's just I think Belichick is just treating this like a just kind of like like kind of just like a not a throwaway year because obviously they're still competing and they want to make the playoffs and it's Bill Belichick, so he's always going to give his best, but. I don't understand why Julian animal was on this team to begin with, like on the season. Like, I don't understand yeah. why he didn't. I, it's, I know it's probably stupid and cliche to say, but why didn't he just go to Tampa Bay with Tom Brady? Like they couldn't figure out a trade to do that. I mean, they need, yeah. like, I mean, I didn't see it from the beginning. I just, but he's a football player. He's in my opinion, the toughest football player that has that I've ever seen play in the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, yeah. just week in and week out, just coming back from the, the knee injury that he had, it was terrible. Um, he had the greatest catch in the history of the Super Bowl. Uh the catch off the off the carpet. Yeah. Um, everything about him screams football player. So he's gonna come back if he's healthy. He's gonna play like he always does if he's healthy. Um, and then I'd be surprised if he plays again next season. I mean, it's at some point, it's just gotta be over. I mean, you have to yeah. say it's over. Just like Gronk. I mean, I thought that about Gronk and then I watched him the first few weeks and I thought the same thing. And now all of a sudden he's like, he's, he's back to being Gronk. So, I mean, who knows? <laughs> do you know why? Cause who Antonio knows?
0: Brown is in that locker room. And I, I brought this up in my kind of Sunday column that I do for the game day. And we can get into this. Cause I'd be very curious to hear your um, your thoughts on pretenders and contenders. We're entering week 13 of the NFL. There's technically four weeks left Fuck everyone's fantasy playoffs. I don't care about fantasy football at this point. But you know the the NFL is going to have 17 weeks of the season. They are dead set on not canceling a game, even if your entire quarterback room has COVID. You're you're going to still play a game, even if 24 players in your locker room catch COVID, like the Ravens. We're still going to play a game. But uh, you know we're heading into a postseason that's going to be very very interesting and. You brought up the conversation about Rob Gronkowski coming back and here's the thing. It, it, I mean, so I always said this, and this is how I kind of rationalized for some fantasy, fantasy nuggets, is that Rob Gronkowski is only going to get hot if everyone else isn't open. He's not the type of guy that's going to get double teamed at the line. He doesn't have the wide open field where he can just start running over players. Although I did see him do that once this year. Antonio Brown, the Bucks team, with Antonio Brown on the team, they've lost three of their last four. Their entire offense seems out of sync. There's no protection. There's no communication. There's no execution on that team. And, uh, you know, anything that they have under pressure, if their offense is under pressure, they suck. If the lights are on and they're under pressure, they suck. Um, who's in control of that team? And to be honest, a lot of people think, hey, maybe it's Tom Brady, but his head coach has been shitting all over him in the media. Bruce Arians' time in Tampa Bay is coming to an end. And I'm not so sure that Tom Brady has the longevity that he thinks he does because, yeah, that place would be great if Antonio Brown leaves and Tom gives up on being fucking Mother Teresa to this guy who is just a broken human. And clearly, it's like if he—I mean, yeah—we haven't heard about him in the news. Congratulations! Well, he—he's sucked on the football field too. So, I mean, w- what is it? Antonio Brown has to act out and just—and and, you know—and act out on his animal instincts as the crazy person that he is in order for him to actually do something on the field, because Scotty Miller was kind of like that—you know—that quick out—you know—that he was the target. But now he's Brady's trying to force the ball to him. To Antonio Brown, it's not working. And um Tom Brady right now is averaging 39 and a half pass attempts a game. Number
2: one in the game.
0: 39. Okay. How are you going to sustain that as a 43-year-old fucking quarterback? Answer yeah. me that.
2: I don't know. And why did they get I want to know why did they pick up Leonard Fournette? He, they've done nothing with Leonard Fournette. Nothing. Like he uh, for all his for all his flaws. He's a, he's a pretty talented running back, whether he's catching yeah. the ball out of the backfield or running the ball, and they have done nothing. They don't use him at all. It's, that's one of the things with the NFL that just drives me absolutely insane is that these, all these coaches think you need full running backs. All these coaches think you need to rotate running backs in and out, every single one of them. And getting back to fantasy, I know you don't give a shit about fantasy, and I totally agree with you. It drives me insane as a fantasy owner with these, with these coaches that just seem to have no idea what the fuck they're doing.
0: Yeah. It's Dunk just Peterson insane. being one of them too from last right. night. I
2: yeah. mean like Leonard Fournette. It, it, okay. So one game you give Leonard Fournette 25 carries, he gets 85 yards and a touchdown. The next game yeah. he has three carries. Like, what, why? What, what do you mean? Oh, it's scheme. Well, it I it think it has money. a lot to
1: do with yeah. that analytics planning. Yeah, a oh, absolutely. Stuff. A lot of these organizations are letting that kind of stuff run. Right. Run, the, like run the office now. It's like it's like, really well, it's it's religion. like Moneyball. Like Moneyball was made because it actually fucking. It's like an algorithm won a World Series. Right. So yeah. like, that's tough. That's tough. You know. Yeah. I, Tom I mean, Brady he, will last because he's made out of wires and he's a robot, that's yeah. why. <laughs> I, Wait, so
2: Tony, let's get back to it. So you think, well, you said contenders, pretenders. You're, yeah. you're, you're putting the pretender label right on the box.
0: Yeah, all right. So let me run through my my okay. list. Yeah. So the AFC, mm-hmm. I've got, uh, I mean, and this is also too, if I say that they're a pretender, it doesn't mean that they're not going to make the playoffs. It just means they might be one and done, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. And I kind of allude, I, I excluded some of the big, big names. Like, I'm not going to be like, well, the Steelers and the Chiefs, they're a contender. Okay, we we get it. We know The that, same yeah. goes with the Saints, uh, you know, in the NFC. And, and, the the Seahawks.
2: and the Seahawks. I think the Seahawks. Yeah.
0: yeah, I mean, yeah, the Seahawks are on pace for a fucking historic... Uh, how did they not cover last night, that game? I mean Six and a see- half, they couldn't cover. I mean, yeah. outside of that, let's... Look we'll, we'll, we'll,
2: at the teams that you just named as contenders, right? And then go through their quarterbacks. Ben Roethlisberger, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Drew Brees, mm-hmm. four of the best quarterbacks in the league. Because yep. ultimately, it's going to come down to quarterback play. I mean, yep. the one team that it doesn't come down to quarterback play that I think is going to win the Super Bowl is the Tennessee Titans, because yeah,
0: they have the Brian uh, Tannehill sucks. I mean, on the day to day, he might have a good game, but uh, you know, Derek Henry is legitimately a dark horse favorite for MVP. I mean, oh. he's not going to win the MVP because Pat Mahomes is going to run away with it. Remember when Russell Wilson was in that conversation? I mean, man, how things change right. <laughs> throughout right. the course of a season. But exactly. is he's the, the perfect Tennessee quarterback
2: Titans. for them. He's the perfect quarterback for them.
0: Yep. He, and, yep. And
2: they had a chance to get Brady. I mean, they, they, Mike Vrabel, I'm guessing, I mean, could have made one phone call and he probably would have went and played for them. But they chose to go with Tannehill over Brady because they didn't want to change the system that they had. And they wanted yeah. to continue what they had from last year and just continue it on to this year. And it looks like it's working up to this
0: point. Yeah. A- a- A.J. So. Brown, the wide receivers, I mean, they picked up, uh, you know, t- a tight end. I know John Smith has been kind of streaky. I mean, that team, again, once again, they play physical at the line, bully ball. Yeah. Like, that's the, that's, the, that's the formula. I mean, that's the formula with the Steelers. They're a yeah, very extremely team. Right. physical team. And I love that team because they played
1: to the last minute too. Yeah, to exactly.
0: And and yeah. I think the Titans are the same exact way. And I think that they are a legitimate candidate to go back to the AFC. And, and
2: AJ talking, and AJ Brown, guess what? Yeah, drafted I, behind Nikhil Harry.
0: <laughs> I mean, <laughs> just added to the list,
2: just added to the list of another player that the Patriots should have had that I, they didn't have.
0: I mean, <laughs> it's yeah. It, I mean, yeah, every time, yeah. every, Sunday, every Sunday. Here's the problem too. It's not only that the class of wide receivers from 2019 are fantastic look at all the fucking wide receivers in in the league this year the jerry Judys, cd lambs Mm -hmm. uh, justin jefferson uh, and some of these guys who went in the second round you could have picked them up Mm -hmm. Uh, they i whatever yeah evaluation of talent on the patriots especially the wide
2: receiver i mean that's always been an issue it's un, it's just it's unbelievable it's it's yeah it's dumbfounding how bad he is from Bethel Johnson to freaking, you know whoever the Chad hell. Chad Johnson,
0: Chad Johnson. <laughs> Chad Remember that yeah. from you from uh, UF. Terrible, oh They're man, terrible, terrible players. I mean, yeah,
2: it just, uh, who knows? But
0: yeah, exactly. Well, one of the other new wide receivers on the Las Vegas Raiders—I almost said Oakland, Las Vegas Raiders—Henry Ruggs. I mean, he's another burner they have Nelson Aguilar. I I think the Raiders have proven to me. And the only reason that I'm saying that they're contenders is because of their legitimate game plan and the way that they match up against the Kansas city chiefs. And they could have beaten them twice. I, you know, they beat them once and they went wire to wire with them in the second, in their second round matchup, you know? So to me the raiders and i think they have the easiest remaining schedule of all the teams and again uh, you know the teams that are going to be contenders are going to just put away the bad teams and i'm hoping that the steelers do the same down the stretch because um you know it's 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 one of those situations i remember when the patriots went 16 and 0 it was like sometimes they had those trap games that they were worried about oh my god they couldn't put couldn't pull through because you can't beat up on a bad team so i think the raiders are legitimate contenders the browns to me are fucking terrible um do you know the baker mayfield the baker mayfield threw his first touchdown pass on sunday since week seven that's five weeks of the nfl that he never threw a touchdown pass i don't think he was even throwing balls past like 10 yards
2: talk about an yeah. offense too man they get some weapons they have weapons and they and he just he just hasn't he hasn't he hasn't done it yet he hasn't no. uh, figured it out yet which you know. he hasn't
0: no, no, no. exactly no, not ever. he um, might um i mean i don't know has he but i mean but the, it just goes to show like your number one receiver yeah you lost odell i'm just not so hot on odell i mean I mean, ja- yeah. I think
2: Jarvis Landry is a better football player. than No, he,
0: exactly. They're yeah. basically the same fucking person. They're right. like, you know, they both grew up in, both grew up in the same town or a couple towns away. Both went to LSU. I mean, they are literally cut from the same cloth. So right. what you're going to get with Jarvis Landry, Jarvis Landry's had the, one of the worst statistical fantasy seasons of any wide receiver. <laughs> and he just threw his first, you know, he just caught his first touchdown pass in like fucking weeks. Yeah. So, you know, the Browns have basically beaten um all of the bad teams in the NFL. So what? They're 8 and 3 now. They've beaten everyone. They've beaten the the Bengals twice, the Washington football team, the Jets, the Chargers, like they've beaten everyone to have a good record. I I dude, they're out. I I don't care what anyone says. Like the, the Browns just wait, down the stretch is going to be an epic epic collapse. Yeah. So I think that they're pretenders. What do you think?
2: I I totally agree with you. I mean, I just I have no confidence in Baker May Mayfield at this moment. I mean, in a few years he might be he might be something, but I just still don't think he's still don't think he's caught on to what it is.
0: Yeah, um, I, uh, yeah. yeah.
2: I mean, they gave up thir- they gave up 38 points to the Steelers. I'm looking at their schedule right now. They gave up 38 points to the Cowboys, and I believe that was that was with um you know that was right before Dak got 500. They gave up 500 yards to Dak Prescott. Jesus. I mean, their defense is not the defense is not good. Yeah. They, it's just a, it, you're right, they beat all the bad teams, which is yeah, which is I guess gets you in the playoffs in the NFL, so
0: yep, exactly. and my other pretender for the AFC, and I know a lot of people are going to give me flack for this, but the Colts, the Colts are a team to me, um, I mean Philip Rivers, I mean, he's done well, I don't know if he's a hundred percent healthy, and that's the biggest thing for me i don't I don't know if Philip Rivers is a hundred percent well healthy, um, if that defense as great as they've been down the stretch of here and their run defense has been fantastic. If they can hold up you, they're not going to catch the Titans in their division. And, you know, in the end they have to, when they're going down the stretch of these games, they're going to have to play a road game against the Steelers or the chiefs or the bills on the road. Do you like their chances? I, I don't. No, I don't.
2: Not at all. And they have a tough schedule coming up. They have to play the Texans two more times, which is always a tough matchup for them.
0: Yes, that was they, the other thing. They have to play the te- they have to play the Texans twice. And the
2: Steelers and the Raiders. They got the Texans twice, the Steelers, the Raiders, and the and they'll they'll beat the shit out of the Jaguars because who everybody beats the shit out of the Jaguars, so it doesn't really matter anymore. Um, yeah. Before we even I, I, Courtney, I'm I'm interested in this. I was looking at I was looking at this the other day. The number one pick in the draft next year, right now, is basically coming down to three teams: the Jets, yeah. the Jets um was it the jets the, the jaguars the jaguars and, and the bangles Bengals. Bengals. yeah so, so we know the bangles not taking um a quarterback because yep. they, have, they have their quarterback uh the jaguars will obviously take one the jets will obviously take one adam gaze is going to be gone he he, he he's going to get fired i don't he know gave.
0: man I, I i wouldn't be 100 percent about that if they i think i if just wouldn't him, i don't just, know
2: it's bananas if they keep him it's just we talked about it the other day he has to be the best job interviewer of all time <laughs> because he's, he's, i don't know why he keeps getting jobs it's insanity and my question is this Will josh we talked about before you think josh mcdaniels is gone right yeah is there a scenario where the jets get the number one pick in the draft josh mcdaniels gives a big fuck you to bill belichick leaves goes to the jets takes trevor lawrence number one fucking af they'll run the afc for the rest of the rest of the time oh man I would, I would love to see that happen. I mean, just, just for the storyline itself. I
0: mean, um, mm, yeah, just given Bill's hatred for the Jets, hatred. it would be a pretty juicy storyline. But right. I mean, he would have to piss him off on some other level of like uh, Eric Mangini, right. um, tre like treason. It, it would yeah. have to be an Eric Mangini treason level of Spygate. Fuck you, um, it, for him to actually go and do that because it's just such a juicy
2: it, offer though like trevor lawrence like he's a can't miss gonna take you to the super bowl in three years type of prospect
0: yeah and well i mean but here's here's the thing it's like all right so who's to say that the jets aren't gonna throw 12 million a year at eric b who's right. the offensive coordinator for the chiefs right why does it have to be josh mcdaniels josh mcdaniels also has failed to actually you know be in the start be in the final conversation of a coaching position over the last three years it was basically like he did it with the Browns twice and when it came down to it it was wasn't the GM's decision it was you know someone under him and I'm blanking on their name but basically it was like do you like Josh McDaniels no okay so (laughs) I like Kevin Stefanski we're gonna give him the job over you um he walked away from that coach that the Colts job after he accepted it and then he turned it like why would any team want to take a chance on Josh right now especially given his in, complete inability to turn Cam Newton to do anything right I, I mean I, yeah that's, this has not that's been a good my year biggest knock
2: no it hasn't been a good year for McDaniels at all it hasn't no uh, but again, I'll come back to it. They're so terrible on offense. They have no freaking weapons. I've never I, seen anything like it. You look at their depth shot; you don't even know half these people. It's, freaking, yeah. it's crazy. Um And then the other thing too is, what about Detroit with Patricia gone? I mean, I wonder where they're going to go for a coach. There's so there's going to be so Roberts many. Robert Sala.
0: Robert Sala. Yeah? i'm
2: a big big lincoln riley fan from oklahoma because everybody's looking for the everybody's looking for the mcveigh everybody's looking for their third mid-30 offensive minded you know uh young guy and i think he's the next he's the next guy to make that jump um into the thing i mean he's been 12 and 2 the last three years for oklahoma i think he's done it with three different quarterbacks yeah so it doesn't he can run the system uh it's going to be interesting. It's going to be a crazy off season. Cause I, again, with the with the COVID, this whole season is just fucked. I mean, everything, yeah. all fucking is fucked. Everything's done. It's just insane. Everything's crazy. And it's just like a whole redo. And I think next year in the off season, it's just going to be, it's going to be wild, wild, <sighs> wild, wild,
0: wild. I know John, oh. you're shaking your head. You agree. You yeah.
1: agree. I agree. <laughs> He's
0: you. just a yes man today.
1: No, I think this season. Do you guys? Would you guys consider this? Even though I would say the NFL was the most normal season out of all the professional sports this year because it took place on time. Basically, I mean that's not counting all the people who are out, but it took place on time. It felt the yeah. most normal. Would you still consider it an asterisk year? No. Would you put an asterisk no. next to so it no matter what. No. Oh, you wouldn't.
0: No, no. At this point, I think that the NFL, as much as I've knocked them. You know, that band aid of a doctor, Dr. Alan Sills, who is, you know, they're not talking to Dr. Fauci. They're talking their own guy who's going to be their Mm -hmm. own representation. So fucking Roger Goodell. Um, You know, the band aid uh, that they have placed on the league, for the most part, I mean, look at this. So the Patriots got fined 350K for, you know, the violations of four players that have, you know, that caught COVID. and, And I think that that was kind of an anomaly. It was, you know, Stefan Gilmore and he went out to dinner or there wasn't a dinner according to his wife with Cam Newton and he caught COVID the people that have violated protocols so blatantly like a strength and conditioning coach in Baltimore holding meetings trying to be Mr. Fucking Hardo with no mask allowing everyone to go work out with no mask on like that is a blatant violation so like I mean if they get games postponed and they're kind of bucking the system here and setting everyone back yeah it's gonna suck but at the same time like we've the nfl has not canceled a single game they've proven that they're not going to continue to cancel games and you know they're going to put extra precautions in place while the country is just absolutely you know uh, seething from this 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 virus that's taking over and having its full second wave they're going to do some sort of a playoff bubble situation good for them you know but i i wouldn't i wouldn't say that in the least we still had basically more or less a full season outside of the practicing in the spring
2: like you said yet that's the problem is yet like what if all of a sudden we get to the afc championship and patrick Mahomes gets covid like fuck
1: yeah that you know actually is mean? a good point like, that's, that's a good true. point that's what are they going to do like that what? like Two weeks in the middle of the playoffs oh, yeah. is much different. Yep. Right. Exactly. I mean, like what
2: what are they gonna do? Are they gonna postpone? Are they gonna cancel? Are they gonna make Kansas City play with a backup quarterback?
0: Oh uh, my god. What I think do? how it's crazy, gonna, crazy would that be? It's gonna I th- I think it's gonna happen. I mean, it's 2020.
2: Well, at that point it'll be 2021. So maybe we have some maybe with some optimism that things are gonna, <laughs> things are gonna start turned around.
0: So, oh man. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just whip out these uh NFC contenders and pretenders, and I know that you're, you're going to knock me for one of these, but my, my contenders, and a lot of people are going to be surprised about this, but listen, someone's got to win the fucking NFC's. Someone. And if it's not going to be the New York Giants, it's going to be the Washington football team. I just think that that team is so well-equipped. The beatdown that they put on Thanksgiving was so fantastic. It was spectacularly fantastic. And apparently that game was the most-watched football game this entire year. It had over 30 million people watching. So whether or not that was a Thanksgiving anomaly or not, you know, the attention is going to be on the NFC East. And with the potential comeback player of the year under center and Alex Smith, Antonio Gibson putting up 250 rushing yards and six touchdowns over his last three games, scary Terry McLaurin, Coming out with a bang, I mean, that's another rookie wide receiver that's tearing up the league. I just think that, you know, Washington, they're going to be hosting a home playoff game and everyone's going to bitch and complain because they only have six wins on the season. But I think that they are one of the the only contender in the NFC East because we know everything that's going on with the Philadelphia Eagles. My other contender are the Vikings. I, I Listen, and I, I shit all over Kirk Cousins. I hate Kirk Cousins as a person. As a quarterback, I think he is like a certified loser. As he was a loser in Michigan wow, a- I just, <laughs> I you, you, like that? You like that? No, I just, <laughs> um, I think that I think that team has been carried by Dalvin Dalvin Cook this entire year. He, obviously, he's like I think they average like four hundred twenty five yards on the ground in those home games. It's all Dalvin Cook, but he's actually proven that he is able to come back from, you know. You know, one possession, two possessions, down 14 points to come back and win. And the only people that are sitting above them at ninth in the NFC are the Chicago Bears, and they're going to get beat by the Detroit Lions this year, this this weekend, because you know Daryl bevel is going to take the Lions and have like a second coming of, oh, we're you know new breath, new Lions team. So they're going to take care of their division foe, and the Vikings are going to launch themselves into the postseason. So. But outside of that, in the NFC, the Cardinals are just, uh, just write them off right now. I'm sorry. and Yeah, you're going to have the Seahawks that are going to take that division. Forget the wild card, bro. If you can't beat a helpless Patriots team down the stretch like they did and made all of those fucking mistakes. You know the Patriots didn't, the, on their only scoring drives, They 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 were never in the Cardinals' side of the field. Like, they always had, like, they were in their own, Fifty between fi- the fifty and the and the end zone, like that's how bad their offense was. And Kyler Murray may or may not be hurt. You know, you do have DeAndre Hopkins, but you know you can be you can limit that team. And I just, I don't know, boneheaded coaching plays. Um, It makes me wonder if Cliff Kingsbury is somewhat in the hot seat. I know Steve Kime wouldn't do that because that's his guy. But very questionable down the stretch, and the Bucks and. I guess I'm just going to hear you, Rob. Just run through why you think that I'm wrong, and then I'll and then I'll bring it back.
2: Two words, Tom Brady.
0: That's it. such That's it. I like <laughs> <such laughs> am. We
2: just watched him for 19 yeah. years. The guy's never. He's never ever going to be counted out. I mean, as long as they I... have him under center, they're a contender. They are going to go. They might. They're good chance to go to the Super Bowl. Um, the offense. The we talk about the Patriots having the worst offensive skill in the NFL. The Tampa Bay Bucks probably as a collection have the best offensive skill in the NFL, and eventually – And
0: they're not using it.
2: I know. I think eventually it clicks. I don't know. I mean, eventually I think I just
0: – I just think right now if the season ended, they'd be playing their first playoff game in Green Bay against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers. I, how do you like their chances on the road, Tom Brady? No, nope.
2: done. <laughs> That's the answer, <anthem>, right?
0: <laughs> Tom like Brady. Like mother, my god. No, I just, I mean, I just think that this is this is the time where things are going to really start to creep in Tom Brady's head, and whether or not there's going to be a power struggle in that locker room, in that organization, of trying to get the offense on the same page. Bruce Arians even saying this is all on Tom because Tom's calling all the plays now. Imagine that happening in New England. If Bill was just all of a sudden like, Tom, I'm going to give you all of the reins of the offense. Yep, it's all you. I, he's, he has no, he's, not a, he's not an offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, him figuring this out and unraveling this mess that he's created. It's I, I just, I can't see the Bucs making it past the first round of the postseason. I just, I can't. I, I don't, I, show me that they have a clutch gene. In these last, what, four, three, four games, show me the Bucks are clutch and can win a clutch game. Time because, out. Because time out.
2: Did you? Did, just I mean, they, say, how, how
0: badly they've embarrassed themselves. I'm telling you, that you, team you right now. Out, ask if they have a clutch gene? No. It's
2: right. quarterbacked by Tom Brady. I, he I, is clutch. You look up clutch in the dictionary, it's just a big picture of him. <laughs> That's it. There's nothing else. I don't think there's anybody
0: else there. I think it's
2: just him.
0: So that's what I'm saying. I I don't understand why. Where's the, where's the communication with this team? Like where, where's the execution? I, you know, Tom can't be, can't, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league passing over 20 yards. Sure. He completed four and seven, four of seven passes beyond 20. I mean, how how is he going to do that consistently? I just, I think that there are too many things that he is trying to control including making sure that Antonio Brown doesn't get into legal trouble or any kind of trouble that he's, that he's trying to do. It just, um, I just can't see him corralling this team. I don't
2: know what they're thinking. Past the first round. When they signed him, wouldn't, don't you think they should have spoken before and said like, listen, I'm going to come sign there, but we're running my offense. Okay, Tom, that's great. Come run the offense.
0: I think that that's what they, that's what they said. Like I think everything that you're saying. And what are I, they doing? I don't, Bruce doing. Arians, here's the problem. Bruce Arians is a, a very laissez-faire coach. And yeah. like, there's no structure. Right. There, this was like, reminds me of like when I had a few friends that went to the Pro Bowl and like John Fox was like the best coach of the Broncos. He was the best coach to have during the Pro Bowl. Because he let the players like drink during practices. He was like, "All right, everyone, go party, and no fucking rules, and this and that." Like that's literally what Bruce Arians is to me, at least from what I'm hearing.
2: Yeah. So, which it, is too bad because I thought they brought Tom in to change that. Like that's what yeah. that's what originally what they said they going to do, and then yeah. they just you know they've taken the offense out of his hands. But like yeah. you said, and in, and in, in off in, in New England. I thought he was the offensive coordinator. I mean him and Josh together, but ultimately when you get up to the line and you see see things, I mean you make your own calls. I mean, I yeah. would say 65-70% of the time he's probably audibleing or it's probably, you know, we have five plays, we have five plays that we can call. I'm going to I'm going to tell you which one it is when we get to the line of scrimmage. And yeah. I just I don't I don't know, fucking Tampa Bay. I mean, what are you doing? Just, just give him the offense. Just give him the keys. Yeah. Here's Is, is the offense you have for two years? Figure it the fuck out. I'm gonna. Support. I, I mean,
0: think, I think it's that's exactly. It's exactly what they're doing, and that's it, why they're failing. Because yeah. Tom doesn't know what he's doing. Oh right. my
2: God! Get out of here! Uh,
0: yeah, all right. <laughs> I'm right. You're wrong. Oh, that's yeah. Rob from Wolverine, I'm Both. Courtney Fallon. Uh, we got an interview to get to. This interview with Antoine Walker is not sponsored by the Walker Wiggle, although we do get a great Walker Wiggle at the end of this fantastic interview. But it's sponsored by Bunny James. Bunny James Boxes, listen, we're done with Thanksgiving. We're on to Christmas. And what's a better stocking stuffer for your loved one than Bunny James Box Snackses? And I'm just gonna say snacks is because I kept saying that during this copy. Listen, Bunny James Box has so many good, delicious keto, gluten-free, vegan snacks. It all comes in one place, and we're here to offer you a sick deal. Go to the website bunnyjamesbox.com. Enter the code Bad Signal 15. You get 15% off, free shipping. It comes in like two days, and you get a whole bunch of small mission-based brand snacks in one place and i mean like i i bought my box like two weeks ago and i'm still trying to work my way through that thing so again bunnyjamesbox.com enter the code badsignal15 you get all the good snacks for your friends and your loved ones no gross chocolates popcorns so you guys get it just go check out the website use our code and now Antoine walker
1: It is a great honor and a pleasure to bring in
0: one of my childhood heroes. Growing up a Celtics fan, early 2002, 2003, those days, Antoine Walker, Paul Pierce, sitting up in the Raptors, a couple of playoff games. Man, employee number eight, welcome to the show. What's up?
3: Well, Thank you for having me on the show. Don't make it seem like I'm old or something. When you said like, um, you made me feel like I was really old right there. I'm still in my youth now. <laughs>
0: still in your youth and you know you're still thriving and you just came up with a book you're coming out with a book called gone in an instant Mm -hmm. um really a lesson to a lot of younger kids and um, younger players and really anyone that has long since admired you I mean you of course one of my favorite basketball players still one of my favorite basketball players but um how did you decide to um, start to write this book and just talk about, you know, the financial struggles that you went through?
3: Um, I don't want to be too long-winded with it, but it, it's it's been a, a journey for the last five or six years. Just um, one, uh, rebranding myself, um, trying to figure out what I want to do in life, um, and also um, turning my story into a, a learning tool for a lot of young athletes. And I had a couple of different things, different ways I wanted to do it. And um, I started, which you, you don't know, I shot a documentary um, about five years ago that kind of spearheaded me to to want to write a book. And it was really just to rebrand myself and then making it to a learning tool. So um, that's why it's called like a memoir. It's more of a testimony to some of the stories and trials and tribulations um, that I went through. Because I think sometimes, you know, um, when people hear stories about you, they don't get the full story. They just listen to the internet and, what people put out there and, and sometimes when it doesn't come from the horse's mouth um, it becomes a problem and people get the wrong and misconception of it but I wanted to make mine learn. so I've been very blessed and fortunate um, first to start um, with Morgan Stanley I have to give him a lot of credit um, Drew Hawkins, um, a guy that was at Morgan Stanley about five years ago gave me an opportunity to go back in front of student athletes um, and speak about financial literacy and share my testimony and that kind of spearheaded it and the last five years, including this year, was been unbelievable for me. I got an opportunity this past season to do the financial literacy for the NBA for all 30 teams. So I was able to do 26 out of 30 um, before the pandemic hit. Um, but that was what I was aiming for, to be able to do, to be back in front of my peers and to share my story. And I got a chance to do that this year. That's even That was even more important to me than me trying to get a book or do a documentary was to be back in front of my peers and I was able to accomplish that. And hopefully if it it continues, obviously we got to get through this pandemic, but it was something that went really well. The guys were very receptive to me. Um, It's something that I enjoyed doing because I felt like I could really make a difference with that younger group of guys. And and it was, it it worked out really well, but the book is a learning tool, according to be honest, which is nothing more, nothing less. It's me sharing my stories, the mistakes that I made. And it's funny because, All athletes got to go through the same problems. We're going to have have to deal with our family. You're going to have to deal with your friends. We create these very expensive lifestyles for ourselves. And they're all good things. Don't get me wrong. We work very hard to to become professional athletes. But the one thing that you're going to get from this is that we don't think about generational wealth. Um, We don't think that as athletes, we play a short time everybody's not going to be Vince Carter and play 22 years in the NBA. Mm -hmm. You know, you're going to probably get a situation when you play 10 or 15 years and that's when you make your money and you got to make sure you keep it. You know, obviously you can make investments and certain things to put yourself in better play. But when you're making the type of money that most athletes make, you got a chance to build generational wealth, not only for yourself, for your kids and their kids. And that's what I try to teach the guys about because that's what it's all about. I retired from playing basketball at 34 years old. Yeah, um, That's a lot of life to live, um, yeah. you know, after that. And I think that sometimes we get confused. I came in the league at 19 years old. You're not thinking about retiring, but it's something that you got to put on these guys mind now and I try to do that.
0: And try to tell a 19 year old kid, hey man, you should buy a couple of buildings <laughs> and get that residual wealth or you're going to get $10,000 <laughs> in rent once a month. I mean, to a young kid, that's like, they'd rather slam their head against a desk, you know, like um, they'd rather just certain things just really, I mean, and I know through that I going, growing up, like being Mm. in this business is so risky. You have a job, a six figure job, one minute, and then you're let go. And then I'm freelancing for Mm -hmm. three years. And then I'm grabbing this job, that job. I think a lot of people, once they read your story are going to relate to that. And one of my biggest questions was looking and kind of reading into this book on how you lost a $110 million fortune mm-hmm. and um, telling a young kid, you know, what's the one thing, what's the one word that that young kid needs to have in their vocabulary is no, but mm-hmm. even more so than having all of their friends and family from high school and college coming up to them. Hey man, can I have a couple of bucks, this and that? What's the one thing that, you know, that young kid needs to tell himself? Like, yeah, you know what, like $75,000 car. Like, I, I don't think I can afford that. Like, what's the one thing that they need to know themselves? It's not just um, pushing other people away. It's, you know, it's, it's you know, um, helping themselves.
3: Well, I think the first thing is, I would tell guys to educate theyself. Um and it's hard. And, but you got to really educate yourself first before you can help your mom and your dad, and your brothers and sisters, you got to educate yourself we kind of, you kind of use this term. I've picked it up. It's like you're the CEO of you. Um, so you become the CEO right away. You're this business. You're this multimillionaire at a very young age and you have to make all these decisions. And then after that, you get, you educate yourself and you have to make sure. And it's funny, it's kind of steps to it as far as how you want to learn when you get money. But our first thing I would say to people was, you "No, know, get you a great CPA. It's a tax guy. It's a tax woman. Um, it's, it's crazy. You don't think about that, but that's the first person you need to hire because obviously a million dollars is not a million dollars. That was probably the biggest thing. And I always tell a story. I, I talk about my first year in the league. So I signed a five point five million dollar contract three years. But my first year, I made one point six of that contract. But I was in debt after my first year in the league, bought my mom a house for half a million dollars, bought me a condo in Waltham for two hundred fifty thousand dollars a couple cars, you furnish the place, you move your brothers and sisters. Now go from public school to private school. Um, I had a child, at the, I had my daughter. So now you wanna make sure that she's good. So you, I'm in debt, cause after one six, I only see like 800, 900,000. Yeah. So I'm in debt technically after the first year I was in the league and you know, a lot of guys don't look at that. You look at the big number at 5.5 million, but I pay $55 million in taxes through my career. Yeah. And you NBA know. is a little different than every other state, but you pay entertainment tax in the other 29 states that you play in. So, you know, every sport is different. I can't say that, but in the NBA, the first thing you gotta do is get a CPA because you're gonna pay tax in 30 places, every place you play. So it's a little different and it's a learning curve. That's why I say you have to educate yourself and it goes back to what you just said. You do have to get the word knowing your vocabulary. It's very difficult. And I'm pretty sure you or anybody else can understand this, on your journey, your mom, your dad, uncles, aunties, there's a lot of people that probably helped you out. And that's the hardest thing to do is to come back and tell those people no. Um, I I struggle with that. Uh, Guys right now in the league uh, really struggle with that uh, because these are the people that took care of you. But uh, when you have money, you got to be a little selfish. That was probably one of the biggest things that I learned. You have to be selfish because at the end of the day, um you work hard they're not the ones in the gym running the suicides um, uh, shooting the jump shots and doing the work that you put in to get to the highest of your level of your profession so and you want to be able because you're going to retire in a young age and so you want to be able to do what you want to do you don't want to have to be figuring it out you want to be able to sit back and and not necessarily, not necessarily that but you want to have that option and you work hard enough to have that option
0: yeah. Well, let's get into the Celtics stuff and then I'll ask you the yeah. gambling questions later. Cause okay. you know, that's kind of left fun, So we can like, you know, talk about that stuff, but yeah, you had the blessing of having your college coach, Rich, Rick Patino, mm-hmm. come to you after you left Kentucky and he followed you to the NBA. He was the Celtics head coach in your first year. Um, just what was he like as a coach? I know that there is a lot of, conversations, at least in the NFL circles, about coaches Mm -hmm. that coach in college. And it's a much different attitude and it's a much different message than when you're coaching grown men. Uh, What was the difference between Rick in college and Rick with the Celtics?
3: (laughs) Um, College with Patino was unbelievable for me personally. It taught me, you know, got me in the best shape possible, taught me how to play the game the right way. Um, You know, off the court was a father figure to make sure I make right decisions. So um, I always loved the way he, I mean, I, it was tough love. Um, I didn't, I didn't understand it probably back then, but it, it turned out for the best. I think in the pros, honestly, when he got to the Celtics, um, their expectations was too high. I think people, people because of his success in college and his own personal demons of him wanting to win right away, um, really messed things up here. It should have been a process of a three, four year process, um, Instead, he wanted to win right away. Um, he juggled the roster. I mean, he traded Chauncey Billups after 40 games, 45 games, yeah. something like that. I mean, you dropped them third. Um, just the impatience that he had to build a team. And when you're building an organization, they build an organization back together. We had some very good pieces, and he did not allow those pieces to grow together. For whatever reason, he wanted to win right away. And the expectations were, I think, a little too high for the group that we had. Um, and it showed, um, me and coach, we have fallen out. I'll be honest. We lost contact for a while. Um, I mean, he was a different guy for, for, for a while. Um, and we regained our friendship and, and obviously, um, I love him to death and Coach has, has been great to me throughout my life. But in that time frame, he wanted to win too fat, too bad. He couldn't take it, but it's tough when you come from winning 80% of your games and then yeah. you come and then you come into the league and, and now you're in the 40 percentile, I mean, it's tough for anybody. So it was, it was, it was an adjustment for him. He was not prepared for it, and that's why he ended up leaving after two and a half years.
0: Was there? Do you think that that has to do a lot more with the pressure that he puts on himself, or the pressure to gain and win multiple championships in this city? I know, you know, your rookie season '97 yeah. was a long time ago, and that was before um, you know, the decade of dominance du- to double decade of dominance mm-hmm. that Boston has experienced, but was it a pressure? Uh, Cause you can feel it when you play in a playoff game in the garden. I mean, there is a type of energy that Boston Celtics fans have that, you know, it's, it's unprecedented across the NBA, the passion. I mean, you could possibly say maybe Philly has some of the same or New York fans, but w- was it a pressure of just being in the situation under Philly? I mean, was it Danny Ainge that was putting him under pressure? Like what, what drove well, Patino to act like that?
3: Well, I think, I think you, I think you kind of hit it on the head. I think it is pressure. The, the plan in Boston is uh, people want want to win. They expect you to, you know, play hard, work hard. Um, but one thing I, I could say about Celtics fans, I think they would appreciate the process as long as they're starting to see some improvement of players. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, for me as a player, um, when you're trying to build chemistry you know, you want to get a chemistry with a good core of guys of seven, eight people. Um, and we never got that opportunity. Um, like I said, and Chauncey, Billups early, Ron, We had some good players, I think. And you saw once me and Paul got an opportunity to be together for a couple years. We was able to be, build chemistry among each other, confidence. And then that translates to winning. And you get an opportunity to get in the playoffs and, and get a shot. And I think he did not get that chance. But also to say this, he was one of the first ones, I, I'm not sure, I know it, it's been done in the past, but to be the GM and the head coach, I think that's tough to wear both mm. of those hats. And he wore both of those hats when he came in. But that's Coach. Coach is a control freak. He wanted to be in control of everything. So he he, he, had, to, he had to have control of both of them. But that's tough um, to, to be the GM and the head coach um, because you got to bring it because you got to have two different, you know, mindsets. You know, you got to yeah. coach guys and be ready to, you know, with the development, slow it down. And then the GM, you, your job is to win and you're trying to put the best guys. So that was just tough for him yeah. on that part.
0: I know another guy in Boston that's the GM and the head coach and his name is Bill Belichick, but I think he's doing he's doing just fine. Well, he got Hi. six
3: of them at 20. He's not, <laughs> he, he, you know, he, he got room. he got room for failure right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I know. Well, I mean... Uh, Rick Patino is so much maligned. I mean, when you started to hear all the rumors and all the, you know, kind of his mm-hmm. downfall, were you in touch with him or like, I, or were you kind uh, of sitting there or kind of a little bitter and we're like, no, yeah, actually, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him. So no, the the,
3: the yeah. crazy part is that if the timer serves served me right, um, I was at a point in my career on a down end and I was out. I think I was out the league waiting to get a phone call. I went down and stayed with him for six months. Wow. in Louisville and, um, and got in great shape. And this was at the time when he was actually going through his trials and tribulations with the young lady and, um, the restaurant and all the personal things. So we kind of helped each other out. I think we were working out twice a day. Um, I was able to get in great shape. I stayed in Louisville. I didn't go nowhere. Um, he took a lot of personal time out, um, to work me out. I mean, he would work out with me twice a day. Um and we got a chance to spend a lot of time together and rekindle our friendship. So it's yeah. crazy that you asked me that a lot of people don't know that. So I got a chance to be around him and I understood um uh, how hard it was on him. And it was difficult on his family, on his wife, and, and he went through a very tough time um with that. And obviously we know about the scandals with the kids after that, but he had he had a tough, tough stretch there over the last, you know, four or five years. And I was actually around um at that time. So we kind of helped each other out and get each other back on our feet.
0: What's your relationship like with Paul Pierce? Cause I mean, it's uh, you guys are uh-huh. like peanut butter and jelly to me. And I gotta tell <laughs> you this though, so like, you know, my brother, damn, in 96, I was nine years old. And he, uh, my big brother, he threw the, he threw the Sports Illustrated uh, down mm-hmm. on the desk. He said, you see this man, and he pointed to you. He's like, he's going to change Boston Celtics forever. But really it wasn't <laughs> until, it wasn't until Paul Pierce really complimented your game <clears throat> that you guys really started to put things together. I, I guess I would say, you know, just um, what was the most frustrating part about um, having that team and having two superstars and, you know, I mean, you got guys around you, like Tony Delk and, you know, mm. a number of those different guys that were on the team making playoff rounds, but you couldn't quite, you know, get it together as so much so. And I mean, I think a lot of Celtics fans and what can what can you kind of relate to the Celtics team now that, as Rick Fox said when we had him on here a couple, you know, a couple months ago, he said, "You know, this Celtics team has got a got a lot of Indians, no chief."
3: <laughs> um, well, we had a lot of chiefs. Me and Paul was a chief. Um, I consider myself. Yeah, that's, myself that's a, why. Yeah. Yeah, I consider myself a leader. We both did. I think um, we did a good job of establishing our, ourselves of being a good playoff team. Um, I think that was the first the first goal. I think once we got to the Eastern Conference Finals and you you really sized it up, New Jersey went to the finals back to back.
0: It was Jason so, Kidd. It was, yeah, yeah. And Eric so Jason, Snow and,
3: yeah. they were just they were they were really good, but we were not far off from them. So if you that's the measuring stick to get over the hump. I think the organization and and I know Danny came in with a different vision, but if he was willing to add a piece to that team that we mm-hmm. already had, maybe a piece or two. Um, we could have got over the hump. Now, whether or not we could have won a championship, that's obviously something different. But I do believe with a piece or two, me and Paul could have um, got to the finals. And we were, you know, we were getting older, we were maturing, we were getting into our prime um, of our careers. So we were, we were maturing, and we would have been able to get over that hump. I think that's really what what the problem was. But um, to talk about me and Paul's relationship, we had a great relationship. We played together. We were very close. We spent a lot of time together. Um, when, um, when I stopped playing, we kind of lost contact for a few years, um, but we was able to rekindle. I was there for his um, – I got to hang out with him for his jersey um, in the Raptors, which was a great and special moment. I was yeah. so happy for him to see him go in the Raptors. Well-deserved. He'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer as well, and that's well-deserved too. Um, but we hung out last time All-Star weekend. You know, All-Star weekend was in Chicago.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I
3: did an event, um, All Star Weekend, and he came out and uh, we party like never before, like it was back, like in, <laughs> like it was back in like two thousand one or some We So we had a good time, but we're we're still uh, we usually chit chat over uh, social media, Um yes. and if we're in the same city, we get together. But we we've, we've been able to rekindle and, and maintain a good friendship. So um, me and Paul are in a good space.
0: Yeah. I I just, I was thinking about this too, and it's just, it's such a scary thought. Do you remember the night that he was stabbed? Were you at the club with that? I mean, story, I think it was like Benzino, the rapper, or something. I mean, what? Yeah, the crazy part.
3: The crazy part is that Paul came down early um, for practice to get, um, to work out. I usually, I usually came in like the last two, three days before camp opens up. So I wasn't in town. So I just got the phone call, so I wasn't at the club with him. Um, but I had some friends that were there, and that was a very uh, horrific moment, scary moment uh, for Paul because he was by himself. You know, it wasn't like he was with his friends and, you know, had a little help, and it, it turned into a brawl. But, you know, to his defense, you know, he held his own. Um, from sure. my, from everything I was told, he held his own, and they end up hitting him with a ball or getting him down. But he needs to, he needs to frame his coat. It was his leather coat. Yeah, that's
0: actually, my brother said that his leather coat saved his life. Say, yeah. yeah,
3: he needs to frame his like leather coat end up saving his life. And uh, I mean, it's tough. You know, I felt bad for him because we kind of knew where it came from. Um, it was in a very unfortunate situation. Paul did not want to leave Boston. Um, a lot of guys would have handled that totally different. Um, probably would have wanted to get traded, not be in that city anymore, not live and make that their home. Uh um, but paul stuck through it and you know look at look look now 15 years later after playing in Boston. he's in the rafters he's gonna be a hall of famer so you got to give him a lot of credit but i wasn't there um um probably would have went a little different i mean he was by himself so he didn't have any help
0: yeah, yeah it's a little yeah. tough oh man well yeah, I mean, but, have you ever have you experienced stuff like that i mean i remember yeah, some most yeah. crazy story you got you got held up yeah. at gunpoint in
3: Chicago? Like, what happened with yeah, that? Yeah, I I've I have had um, a couple of different altercations that I'm obviously uh, not proud of, but, um, you know, a victim of circumstance, a victim of a guy having a lot of money. Um, I had a home invasion um, in my house, which was very scary to get robbed by four men. Um, they were kind of... Um, they also robbed Eddie Curry. I'm not sure if you remember Eddie Curry. Yeah, I
0: remember
1: Eddie. That it, played the
3: league. Yeah. yeah. So they were kind of like randomly. Um, you know, I I was one of those guys in Chicago. I was out. Uh, I wasn't the guy that was staying the house. So they they was following guys that had money. And I was just targeted, unfortunately. So those guys got lengthy jail um jail time. They were they were all caught. Um, those four guys were caught and many Eddie Curry went to the lineup and pointing the guys out. They had, you know, it was it was a whole process. It was actually, uh, it was scary because you don't know where it comes from, and you don't, know, you know, I I didn't think I created any enemies, so I didn't. I was like, I'm not in any bad graces with anybody. But it's just people that want to take, you know, looking at your your success and trying to take full advantage of it, and and that's what happened. It's one of those things that you never want to say what happened to you, but it did. It was scary for me. Um, it was scary for Eddie but the same guys that did me did Eddie Curry.
0: Um, I agree with you. Speaking of like growing up, mm-hmm. I I think Donovan McNabb went to high school with you.
3: I oh yeah, four years.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Where you, was, I mean, I know that he sat on the bench while you played.
3: Uh- <laughs> no, 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 that's a totally wrong story. Donovan was a big part of uh, my high school. He was a second leading scorer on the team. Wow. So he would come fresh out the football field, and um, and come play basketball. The, the unique thing about, or well, the funny thing people don't understand is that Donovan played for a football school. Mount Carmel, the high school that we went to, was a football school uh, where they produced a lot of Division I uh, football players, um, professional players. Simeon Rice went to our school. Matt Kushner. Awesome. We, had a lot of, we had a lot of good uh, football players. So I kind of, when I got there, I kind of made it more of into a balanced school where it was basketball too. But Donovan was an unbelievable athlete. And yeah. people don't understand that. So he would, they would college in high school, he was an option quarterback. Like he yeah. never threw the ball. He would throw the ball eight times in a game. <laughs> like it would be like, and, and it's, it's like weird. I always tell people like to see him at Syracuse when he got to Syracuse and see him throwing them bombs. And then obviously when he got pro, I was like, how did he learn how to throw like that? Cause he didn't throw like that in high school. Yeah. Um, but he was a big part of, of my success um, on the high school level. He was good. He gets you 20 points any night. Super athletic, um, a fearless guy. And me and Don still have a very, very good relationship um, to this day. He's in Phoenix um, with his kids. He's now got his kids now trying to play football. So he's doing real well. I also saw him All-Star Weekend, too. We spent a lot of time, too. Um, All-Star Weekend
0: is just, yeah. That's when you really kick it.
3: Yeah, like you no should have been, you didn't come to Chicago. You didn't come to Chicago. Uh,
0: no, I remember my ex was asking me. He's like, "You come to Chicago for All Star Week? You know? Oh boy, I'm a football uh-huh. girl, man. I, so what's what's a what's an Antoine Walker All Star All Star Weekend in Chicago, your hometown? Ooh. Like, what's what's a party like that? You have like floor to ceiling ice sculptures. <laughs> you got you know you got you got women scantily clad. Out you, know, you, know, <laughs> I, you know, you know, you know
3: what was you know what was crazy. I wanted to bring the book out All Star Weekend, and it wasn't it wasn't ready. So I was like, okay, so I had to cut down my events. But no, I did a couple of events, couple parties. Um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, nothing too crazy though. Like I think I did. I did a watch party because yeah. I didn't go to the game. It was yeah. just too hectic. Um, I let my daughter um, and her friends go to the game, so mm-hmm. I didn't go, and um, I did a big watch party. Um, at this big bar and that that was that was fun um, I did like a little welcome to Chicago party everybody came out to Thursday early yeah. before the before the traffic got in but you you didn't come out but it was freezing freezing
0: I think when it was I the lows, yeah.
3: yeah it was it was the worst that. yeah it was the worst weather ever, ever. so um, it wasn't the most enjoyable all-star game I've been to but it was fun we hadn't <laughs> had in our city in 32 years yeah so it, yes. it had, it hadn't been in Chicago and since 88. So people were pumped um, here. Um, yeah. and so it, it was good. And now hopefully we, you know, we were good hosts and people want to come back. Hopefully we don't got to wait 32 years to have the All-Star game again.
0: Uh, speaking of Chicago, you were super close. I like, I love your Instagram cause you always like post, you posted mm-hmm. one picture of, uh, MJ and you're like, yep, that's <laughs> a foul <You> know, hand <laughs> on the wrist. Um, what can you say about his success? Do you remember, you know, watching the um mm. the documentary and I'm blanking right now, the, the you know, the 10 oh, part the documentary dance. about the oh, yeah, 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 the yeah. last dance. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, I mean, I guess also too. I mean, what was you spent a lot of and I think a lot of you know the fun, and then also too the downfall was um when you would go gambling with with MJ. Mm. Like what was um you know, I'm not trying to spoil any stories in the book, but do you have anything mm-hmm. that you can remember about like, you know, going out and keeping well, no. uh
3: the goat? Well, I think it's a, the the one thing that people gotta understand. I've been I always look at this as a very special part of my life. Uh, to grow up a kid and and rooting for the chair for Michael and coming from Chicago and the first three championships, um, being one of those kids that was sitting in front of the TV at all that they were playing the finals and trying to win championships to in 96 playing against them. Um, My first game was against the Bulls and, you know, um, playing against those last three championship teams was special. We didn't have a lot of success, obviously against that team, but the play against them was great. So in 2001, um, when Michael decided to come back and to get that phone call and, and, him telling me they need me to work out with him and get the guys in the gym and mm-hmm. and let's you know, I'm thinking about making a comeback. And to build that relationship that I built with him over a five, six year period, it was very special to me. No a lot of people don't yes. get an opportunity um to me to be around the greatest basketball player that ever played a game on yes. a personal level, on and off the court. Um, um I think it was more to our friendship than what people think it was. I mean, I was around this guy every day. Uh, For a long time, not not just at the gym, but at his home, around his kids, around his family. Uh, So it was different. I know Marcus. Um,
0: Marcus is Marcus is my age. Oh yeah, Marcus is
3: um, is is in Orlando.
0: Yeah, he's in Orlando. At UCF. Yep.
3: Yep, he's in Orlando. Um, So that was a that was a great thing. I think when people thought, "Have I been around Michael gambling?" Yes, did we gamble? The thing that people don't understand that me and Michael don't play the same games, so I never gambled yeah. against Mike. Like I don't okay. like sit at the table and gamble against him. So I don't. I don't play. I didn't play poker or none of the games he played. But I've been around him a ton of times. I went to openings of restaurants and casinos where he's where he's gambled, um, yeah. but he never was an influence on me. I never sat at the table and played with him. Michael bears yeah. too much money. <laughs> Michael plays. That's why I was thinking. Yeah, Michael plays at a different a different level than. The average person.
0: How much would he throw <laughs> down? And so he's a poker really? class.
3: How much would he throw uh, down? Yeah, they play different. I mean, I don't understand all the concepts of poker, but they they're, they're high stake poker games. But I mean, he's playing blackjack. I've seen him play twenty five thousand a hand, six spots. So that's what one hundred fifty a hand, one hundred fifty thousand dollars a hand. So he plays a different type of game of things that I've saw. Um, but that wasn't that wasn't our relationship. That wasn't he wasn't there. and that's another reason why you know, it's important to to do a book and to do a documentary because people put your, you know, I think people didn't understand that we had a real relationship. Um, yeah. And it just wasn't that. And even just to touch on it, you know, I think, and for me personally, um, when things came out about me, um, I had a situation that happened in Vegas at the same time that I actually was going through a real, my real bankruptcy. So yeah. what gets highlighted, the gambling, the gambling gets highlighted more than the actual, the reason why that I lost my money. And I think that's why I did it. I lost my money in the recession, in the real estate. I never yeah. lost my money gambling. Was I a competitive gambler? Yes. Did I gamble a little bit? Yeah. But I mean, the one incident that happened um, was actually Vegas's fault. Not only really their fault, but um, they took advantage, which they could. Legally, they they could. I thought I had a better relationship with them. But anybody that gambles at the level that we do, and when you owe when you take big markers, um, you have forty-five days to pay that money back. And for whatever reason, we had succeeded. My forty-five days, they wanted to act on it, so they can actually wow. press charges on you. Wow! And I think if you look at, I know it happened to another player. I think he saw it happened to Charles Barkley. I think years, years ago, yeah. um, where he owed money and they like went public on him. So they kind of went public on me because I was taking too long to pay. Yeah. And it was an unfortunate thing because it went at the same time that my big was going on. And it went at the same time I was trying to still play basketball. So it puts a bad seed in GMs and people minds. And, and it was like a whole big thing. And it was, it was um, I was very disappointed that they held the situation the way they did. Um, but also I got to take responsibility for it. I knew um when I got markers, when I got money, um the responsibility and the time frame that you have to pay that money back, and they didn't get paid back at the right time, and they acted on it, and it ended up being a bigger story um than it was, but we got the situation taken care of, but it it was a you know it was a negative thing, and it's like you asked me it's something that I' always gotta be asked about because that's what people think,
1: yeah, and hopefully
3: you know when the the memoir comes out and you know, hopefully we can get this documentary out. People will see um, what really happened. And and it's a part of, I was a competitive gambler. I wasn't like, I never gambled, but it was never a situation where it made me, I was bankrupt or put me in a financial bind. It was far from that. It was a very small percentage of what I lost in my life.
0: Yeah. Um, Was Pat Riley forgiving?
3: Not really. I don't know. You know what? That's a great question. it was a great experience for me being down in Miami. Um, everything worked out. Uh, we bumped heads on a couple of things um, on and off the court, me and, me and coach Riles. Um, I don't know if he held grudges against me. I don't know. I couldn't really tell because the tail end of the last two years, it was very hard for me to get picked up. And I know how the league works. Mm-hmm. The league is a yeah. fraternity. Um, I don't I don't know this for, for sure. I mean, um, but I'm, I'm I don't know if Pat Riley's comments were pleasantly good. Well, I don't know if they were good enough for me. I don't know how good it was. And we didn't have any major beef. But I think, you know, the team I played on, we partied a lot. You know, Pat don't like that. You've been around Miami teams. We we did South Beach a lot. Um, We had fun. We played. I mean, don't get me wrong. We won a title. One of the best teams I've ever been a part of. Um, To be able to play with those legends, Shaq, Alonzo, Gary, um it was great it was special we had a thing called 15 strong um and we bonded together for a year to to win a championship and that was the only team I've ever played on the NBA where you would go out to dinner and see eight guys at dinner together yeah you, you know what I mean that that's that usually typically gonna happen in the league you know guys usually land and go their own separate way you may see one or two guys but we were very close and um Couple incidents happened just off the court that Pat Riley didn't like. Um, my contract situation was supposed to be handled totally different. It wasn't handled. We had a big problem with that. Um, so it was like a lot of little small things. And when he traded me, it was like, man, it was like a shock. I got traded before the first game of the season. Yikes. Like I was Yikes. like and then, you know, to get traded from I always say um you go from the Miami Heat playing 45 games on national TV. You're going to be in the playoffs. You're playing with Shaq and d I went to Minnesota. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
3: you know, and, and, and you know, and it went, you know, and so it was just, it was tough. It was a tough transition um, from where I had been. Where if you knew where it could have went down totally different if Pat Riley was could have said, hey, Twan, we're going to go in a different direction. My agent probably could have worked with him, found me a better fit. Yeah. Um, maybe found me about a basketball situation. It's just like those things. But um, I talked to Pat. I saw Pat. We did a. They did a virtual thing, too. D-Wade did this mm-hmm. over the yeah. pandemic. D-Wade put together a virtual call with the 2006 championship team. Yeah. And we had uh, – we was on the phone for about an hour and a half. Everybody got on the, the call, every player, and Pat Rowley did. And we just – laugh everybody shared stories about the season um it was just great to see everybody so uh it, it was good i mean um i haven't seen pat a lot i've been to Miami a couple times um like i, I had to fight i did the financial literacy like i was telling you about in the beginning so i got yeah. a chance to see i got a chance to see everybody again and um before i spoke to the team and i was there a few hours so it's good but I, that was crazy that you were asking me that but i just felt like the verbiage that came out was not good enough. I mean, it, it kind of stopped me from being able to continue to play in the league. I think if a GM called him, I don't think he was saying the most positive things. I don't know this for sure, but my gut would yeah. be he didn't. He he didn't really help me out.
0: Uh, my gut would say that too. Covering Pat and knowing Pat, those those uh, elevated uh, speeches that he'd make at the end of the year with uh, war puns and blood on the ground and that's the championship alley. And that is the the blood of the (laughs) warrior. It's his color and I mean,
3: he's crazy.
0: He's crazy.
3: But listen, Uh, I went through it.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. uh, I I have a question and this is kind of something that's like, uh, you know, Celtics fans. And I came to Miami the same time that Ray did. And Uh just the breakup of the big three And I know Rondo was heavily involved and it just seemed to me like, um, you know, when other teams, when other players like leave to another team, um, you know, the way that it went down is why is, you know, because Ray Allen felt that the big three just wasn't for him anymore. And he was, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, he's told me the stories personally. I won't say the stories, but I mean, it's just him and KG and, and Paul just, um, complete spit split. Why is he seen as a traitor that he left when he made the decision to go? Like, why is why is it? Why are people mm. why do people view him differently in a different light? I think
3: like, um, I think it's a com- I think it's a couple of things. I think one, um, if you kind of look at the damage, and I don't know all the inner workings of that that relationship, but what I do know is that it seems like Paul and KG became very very good friends um, through playing with each other, even to this day that they're very close. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Rondo was a young guy, probably was more, you know, a standoffish a little bit. But I think for Ray, um was probably looking for a little respect, you know, you know, from not only from the guys on the team, but probably from the organization um standpoint. Mm-hmm. And when you have a big three like that, that that has to come from up top. And I think if you look at in the sad it's kind of, they didn't have the success, but it's kind of like Oklahoma City. You laugh and see like you have Westbrook, KD, Harden, and you lose all three. Mm-hmm. How was those? How do you don't figure that out? How do guys don't figure it, it out? Because it comes down sometimes to dollars and cents.
0: Yeah. Um.
3: Who's who's making the most money? Um. Why is he making more than me? Why is not equal pay? And mm-hmm. it's funny. I I thought. Um, it reminded me, I thought Golden State was going to make this big mistake, but Golden State tried to max all four guys out.
0: Yeah. That
3: was crazy. You know, you usually, I mean, you usually don't see organizations do that. Somebody usually gets the short end of the stick. Yeah. You know that. But they tried to make sure everybody was paid. And three out of the four guys did get paid. Max money. And you don't see that. And I I think in sports, you don't see that a lot. And I, I think that's what it came down to. Just pride, who who probably felt like who was more important on the team and who, who's not more important. And then Ray, Ray hit him below the belt when he went to Miami. This is a t- team now. This yeah. is a team now you've been, you know, you got to get through the finals. And it's like, it, it, it makes you feel like out of all the people, why would you go to them?
1: Yeah. But I always
3: tell, but I also tell people, and I know this is two different stories, but I say, look at Kevin Durant. Out of all the teams he went to, you go to a team that won 73 oh. games with three, with three All-Stars.
0: I I lost my mind when I saw that. I was like, if he actually goes, if he goes to Golden State, then he's a fraud, you know? And obviously it was, that was an emotional thing. But at the time it was just like, how could you, you really are going to do that?
3: Yeah. So it was like, you know, a competitive person in sports like I am, I mean, you like, man. So I just, it just reminded me that. I think when when Ray just signed up with Miami, if he would have went anywhere else besides Miami, I think it would have went a little smoother. Yeah. But going to Miami and, you know that was the team that they were trying to get through every year. That was going. That that's why.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um. Well, wrapping this up a little bit, it's really interesting yeah. because we're you were on the same team as Rick Fox, right? So you guys were drafted yeah. years apart. Yeah. So he was actually. Um. Rick's a good family friend of mine. But he was telling me when he came on the show a couple months ago, like. Back then in the day, it's just um, they they had thicker, tougher skin. You know what I mean. Like he was mm-hmm. he wasn't calling a pl- NBA players now soft, but mm-hmm. he kind of was. Uh, what's your view of how you played basketball and just the league and the way the league was? Obviously, you know it's not going to be Big Ben Wallace, and Chauncey Billups, you know, and the bad boys of Detroit, and uh, you know keeping that reputation. Uh, I, but I what how would you how would you characterize the kids now versus you know when you used to play
3: are they um, softer
0: than you than you know than no you i would
3: play? i would definitely say that the league is softer um but it's a combination of the players and the league and their rules mm-hmm. and what they think the fan base wants to see mm-hmm. you know when i came in the league my first 6 years i think they were hand checking was to 2002 mhm so, you know, the, the scores would be, you know, the, you could play defense a lot better. When they mm-hmm. took out the hand check rule, you know, that's when the scores jumped up, teams started playing the hundreds. It was more free movement. They were saying fans want to see that. Fans didn't want to see the old Miami Knicks games where they were playing in the 70s and 80s. Um, yeah. But I do think the game is softer. Um, and honestly, and I'll just keep it real, it's softer because guys get paid now really, really early. Um, yeah. you get paid on potential. And I think it's great. It's been a long time coming. It's a lot of guys that paved the way for these guys to be able to make a ton of money that they're making. And I love it to see it. But the thing is, you get a lot of guys that get paid on potential. So if I'm 21, 22, and I've already got a deal for $150 million, I mean, where's my push level? Yeah. Um. You know, and it's unfortunate, but where's my push level? Um, how good do I want to be? Um, I think now you see the competitive juices have have gone. Um, when you see guys, and we just talked about it, Kevin Durant joining super teams, and where's the competitive juice about competing, making your own team better, um, and competing against guys? Everybody wants to link up with each other. Everybody wants the easier route. Um, everybody so um, wants to go play in these Certain cities, like I love when I saw Donovan Mitchell take a max deal at Utah. Utah's not okay. the most sexiest city and a great city to play in, but- Good strip clubs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, nah, I would not say that. They ain't good. Goods are strong. That's not, that's not good. But you gotta think about it. Certain guys, you know, I like, I love to see Jason Tate <laughs> resign back with Boston. And Okay, Eden. this is my home. I'm gonna try to make, get it, get this done that's what sports is all about. You know, I look at, you know, I take it a step further. You know, I look at Tom Brady. It's embarrassing that Tom Brady's playing for Tampa Bay. Um, A guy that gives you, guy gives you six championships in 20 years. He should be able to go out on his own and, you know, whether regardless if the Patriots ever would have won it, but if you got to take a step back to, so Tom can finish his career, he's earned that right. You know what I mean? So I just, I just look at sports and certain things and, um it's totally different but I th- I do think the league is soft but it's not just the players it's what the it's the rules that yeah. the league has put in place that allows us to be soft and I'm not saying I want to see guys get their head knocked off um yeah. but I'm talking about as a whole being tough is being competitive like you mm-hmm. you should want to want to beat LeBron James I don't need to go join him to go beat him you know it's like Kevin Durant I need to go you going to join three all stars of course you're going to win two championships <laughs> You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong, he played yeah. great, but you went against, I mean, a LeBron team that was banged up. I mean, LeBron went, what what was they, eight and one? They swept him once and beat him in five. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's not a competitive finals. Yeah. Uh, and the league was at one point, you gotta think about this. For about five years, we knew it was gonna be Cleveland and Golden State in the finals. Yeah. And we didn't want and we didn't want to watch the NBA the rest. We like. We know it's going to be Cleveland and Golden State, so let's not even, we don't need to watch the, we want to wait till the finals get here. Yeah. And and that's where it was at. And I mean, we got disappointed this year, obviously, with the pandemic. But nobody, everybody wanted to see the Clippers against the Lakers. Nobody cared about nothing else in the league. So you can't tell me that the league is at a, a, it's at a great place financially, but competitive-wise, it's not at a great place. Yeah
0: yeah, and don't when, tell me, don't give me those stories about, oh, you know, what's what's a great story of Portland coming and winning eight straight, but then they didn't get it. It's like <laughs> I, that's and that's the thing to me. So I grew up. I loved basketball. I mean, the Celtics, mm-hmm. they really drove my 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 love of the game, mm-hmm. and this the super team shit. it's it's just, um, it's too much. It's too much yeah. because now you can't win without having a super team. You can't win without three chiefs and, you know, a couple of Indians. Like, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, so technically mm-hmm. you and Paul were like one big player away from, from competing. And that's part yeah, of why I just, yeah.
3: That's why you want guys to stay there. So I always tell guys, it's funny how like, you know, um, guys be like, I was like, well, wait a minute. If I just paid a guy five years, 150 million or something like that. Why he get, he got to get better. Why I got to go mm-hmm. find somebody else on another team we never hold the guys on the team accountable. It's just like Giannis. And I'll just, the mm-hmm. last I'll say about this, I love Giannis. He's had mm-hmm. an unbelievable career. Two-time yeah. back-to-back MVP. But the problem with Milwaukee is Giannis. Yeah. It's not the players. He has to get better. Doesn't shoot free throws well. He doesn't have an in-between game. And he doesn't have a post-up game. And that's crazy. You hear me say this, it's crazy because he has two MVPs. But he has so much work he needs to put on this game because come playoff time when they really when you're really lock, lock, locked in you see his weaknesses come out and everybody's like mm-hmm. oh he needs to go get with this player that player no Giannis got to look himself in the mirror which is going to be the most toughest thing for him to do and say i got to get better yeah and you know i watched it, you watched it with lebron you watched it with all the great players kobe bryant they crap they get they get better and better every year he has to get better you know, yeah. during the season, he kind of, you know, he had two great seasons back to back, and it's gonna be very hard for somebody um to tell a back to back MVP guy that he has to get better. But he is the reason why they're good, that they're, they're not gonna get to yeah, the finals. Not it's improve. yeah, it's him. And that's the that's yeah. the crazy part. People think, oh, they gotta add all these pieces. No, Giannis gotta get better and then they'll get over the hump.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of that, as we wrap this up, you know, mm-hmm. one of the things that um, the great Tommy Heinsohn, who we just mm-hmm. lost. And I mean, when I heard that news, I, you know, I knew he was sick or he wasn't doing well. I mean, tears mm-hmm. streaming down my face. Who He meant so much. Not only he was just larger than life, there's no uh, eulogy or autobiography that could explain how much Tommy meant and loved the game of basketball. And that was one thing mm-hmm. that he he loved, you know, players going back on defense, and everything that you're saying is just—I <laughs> mean, that's like—it's like you really came from the school of Tommy Heinsohn. Yeah, I think he used his—he his, used his Hall of Fame speech to criticize kids in the game for not running back on defense and how pathetic it was. Can you give me uh, just your your memories, or you know, of uh, an ode to an ode to Tommy, who we lost? Not to maybe. Um,
3: not I mean, very special for me. I think a lot of people. Um, I mean, obviously, people follow the basketball. Um, He is the guy that gives you the nickname, gives you the um, he helps the Celtic fan learn about basketball. And I think people don't understand that because Tommy's going to point out the hustle play, the diving on the floor, um, Mm -hmm. the good defensive play, the impact that if you're not the main guy on the team that you do have on a team, Um, you know, think about Walt, my ex-teammate. He made people in Boston love Walt. Well, Walton Ricardo uh, I love that. That was all him. Um, with me, he, he was always very good at at, at protecting me when the, the Celtic media was, um, and the fans were tough on me. He would always defend me, um, always have talks with me on the plane. See, people don't understand that Tommy traveled with us, so he, he got an opportunity to spend time with him on the road and, and to sit down with you and have those conversations, things that he may be seeing from watching the game to help you out. So, those things are priceless. Um, it's unfortunate. We all knew that he was uh, six towards towards the end, um, but he was a fighter. This, this was going on for about ten years. He's been, right. you know, down a little bit, and he, and he fought for a long time. And uh, be one of the greats. You know, he's, if he's not the greatest Celtic, I mean, he's, he's up there. You, he's in that conversation with Ed, Red All-Back, Bill Russell, yep. and him. That's, yeah. that's that. It probably stops with those three guys. That, that's that's the Celtic organization right there. Yeah. Well,
0: Antoine Walker, autobiography, memoir, gone in an instant. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully that book will come out soon. Listen, if you need any uh, any press, you know, any moderators for your panel, hopefully it will end <laughs> with an Antoine Walker well, party at the end of it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, nah, it's going to come okay. out. It's just a letter too. I want people to uh, just me sharing my story, a couple stories. Maybe people didn't know about me and what went on in my life and, like I say, for the young guys, hopefully it can help some of these young guys getting into the league and I'm a voice. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy that, that can help them out. Um, um, it's serious. It's, the percentages are high, Courtney, to be honest with you, of athletes, especially, that lose their money and then they're just losing it really because of just lack of education. Yeah. It's, there's nothing more nothing less. I mean, we all make bad decisions. We all make a bad purchase. We all do some, you know, do some crazy things, uh, spending money, but, the overall is just guys just don't know and don't, they, don't, they don't apply themselves to learning. And, and if we can get guys to apply themselves like they apply themselves to become the great athlete that they are, um, that percentage will come down a lot. So I'm just trying to be a, a part of that and, and uh, we'll see what happens.
0: It's gonna be good. Things are looking up. Things are looking up for me. Things are looking up for you. <laughs> uh,
3: you're my hero. I love you. Tuan,
0: you the best. Right, thank, employee thanks, number
3: eight. Thanks Appreciate thanks for having me Thank
0: having you. You
3: too, you too. All right, bye-bye. I look inside myself and see my heart is black. I see my riddle door, I must have it black.
0: How much did you love, employee number eight? Antoine Walker growing up. I mean, he, I, I feel so bad because it's just the rumor mill that surrounds him. It's really not, I was very surprised by some of the stories. I'm super mad at myself that I didn't tell him that it was okay to curse at the beginning of the episode because he got super loose at the end. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, really, it was, uh, you know, he made horrible businesses, you know, real estate investments. And he handed them off. He bought a bunch of buildings in shitty areas. He handed them off to his dad. His dad put him in bankruptcy. He didn't pay off all the fees to the buildings. He was more or less like a slumlord. And it, it destroyed his fortune. I know that there's obviously a lot more to do with him losing all of his $110 million. I, I just would, I would be very, you know, I, I'm, I'm very interested to read this book when it finally comes out. But Rob, how much did you love? How much do you love Antoine?
2: I love it. I mean, he was pretty much he brought the Celtics back for me when I was when I was that age. I mean, before mm-hmm. him it was it was a very I wouldn't say dark period, but it was just a very unentertaining just a blah Celtics team. And once we drafted Antoine, it was it was all systems go. I mean, I'll never forget the comeback against the Nets was probably one of the greatest games I've ever watched in my entire life. And just,
1: I'll
2: never forget my father, they were down like 36 points or 35 points. And my father said, they're going to win this game. And I was like, yeah, fuck you dad. Okay. Whatever, buddy. And then they came back and won the game. And then he also said they're going to win the series. So he was honestly wrong about that. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he was, he was everything. He was everything that you wanted to see on a basketball court, like not only just playing, but he brought entertainment to the basketball court you know yeah. like the wiggle goes down in the history of boston basketball i mean antoine wiggle is the best people still do it on the basketball court however many years later and then came, and then when he came back the second time was it was just as good because he gave such a boost to the team when they needed it the most when they traded back for him and it was just it was awesome i mean i'm such a i'm such a Twan guy people all my buddies were just like that's the greatest thing ever the antoine walker i'm like yeah man that's that's my guy. That's, that's yeah. uh, him and Paul. Him and Paul Pierce. Yeah, yeah.
0: I know. I, I just, I, I found the, you know, his conversations about Rick Pitino and those were very, those were very interesting. But yeah, thanks again to Antoine Walker. Thanks to you guys for listening to the pod. More basketball talk on Thursday. We're going to have Kevin O'Connor from the ringer on. So I might have to pull the audience for everyone's basketball questions because it's, he purposely said that he didn't want me to come on the podcast right after the draft because this was the week that would be perfect to drop. So maybe he's got something. He's got something up his sleeve. All right. No see you next time. My green seagull turned a deeper blue. I could not foresee this thing happening to you. If I look
1: hard